We are in a, a series, uh, the third week in a series, we're in a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and uh, we have been looking at this book, talking about something more, that there's something more to life that, that we all want. And in, in the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, the search that we have for meaning in our lives, and is there something more than kind of finding it in all these different places that often seem not to work out in the search for happiness. And we pursue that in all sorts of ways that sometimes it seems like don't work out. And, and then uh, last week we talked about uh, the search for kind of control and being able to manage our lives and how so many times that doesn't work out, that things don't go the way we want them uh, to go. And, and this is a book, if this is, uh, if you, if this is your first time and you're new, that, that, that we've been going through that really is a book that's for people that are frustrated in life, that have had things happen in life in their past or currently, that just experience a frustration, that just experience the difficulty of life, that, that say, man, life is not what I hoped it would be or what I wanted it to be or what I thought it could be. And and it's frustrating. This is a, a book that one scholar said is the only book of the Bible written on a Monday morning. And I love that because some of us feel like, man, our lives are living in one giant Monday morning. And so this is a book that really helps us experience that. And one of the things that, that, um, that we have seen kind of throughout uh, the, the few chapters that we've been looking at is that life's not fair. It's just not fair, Right. That life doesn't go the way we want, even when we do the things that we should do, that, that there's injustice that happens, that life's not fair, and that's something that really bothers us. I mean, one of the first things that we learn as kids is that stuff is supposed to be fair. I mean, there's a couple words or phrases that kids learn very early. One of them is mine, and that's one that all kids know from, you know, it's usually mine and then mama and dada. Those are the first, you know, three words, and then they start to learn that's not fair. When you, when you reach maybe kindergarten or first grade, or maybe some of you have a heightened sense of justice when you were two, and it's, that's not fair. And that's something we learn from a really early age. It's instilled in us. Uh, I remember my mom, um, that I, I went, I don't, I don't know how old I was, maybe, maybe I was seven or eight, and I went to buy a comic book, went into this comic book store at the mall, and um, I bought some comic books, and I came out and I showed my mom, and and she saw the receipt, and, and she had seen that on the comic book, it said there was a sale, but the guy didn't ring me up for the sale. And she, my mom's a fiery Puerto Rican woman, so she went in and talked to the comic book guy and like gave him a little you know, piece of her mind because she was saying, you're ripping off this little kid. And it's only like 45 cents, but she's like, that's not right. That's not fair. And I remember that point thinking, yeah, stuff's supposed to be fair. This is not, even though it's 45 cents, like this guy didn't treat me fairly. And... That is something in us from a very early age that we want fairness, right? We want justice. We want things to go the way they're supposed to go. And we look around at the world, and that's not the case, though. Look around at the world, and we say, life's not fair, both in my life, but also just the world. Life's not fair. There's so many things in our world. I mean, just basically, that's all the news is, is you look and see, man, there's ISIS, and there's sex trafficking, and there's homelessness, and there's corruption, and there's, I mean, it's just life isn't fair out there in the big wide world, but also in our lives, we experience that all the time, that we experience injustice, and we experience unfairness in our lives, that maybe you have been someone that's the victim of injustice on a, on a large level, or, or maybe you've just been a victim yourself of people treating you unjustly, people treating you unfairly. 
you've been abused or you've been lied about or you've been cheated or you've been fired wrongly or laid off or there's there's been people that have done things behind your back or there's people that have gotten away with things that they've done to you and we've experienced injustice and unfairness and it it bothers us because oftentimes people get away with it that we have this sense in us of man life is supposed to be fair Life is supposed to be just, but in the world and in our lives, we experience the unfairness and people get away with it. Like that's just kind of how life happens. And in this next part that we look at, the author talks about this experience and and I'll read kind of the whole thing and then we'll go back through and talk about this. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses 16 through verses four through three. And he says this, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And so Solomon looks at life and says, it's not fair. It's filled with injustice. It's filled with it. It's filled with oppression. It's filled with, uh, it's filled with corruption. It's filled with sorrow. It's filled with all of those things that, that we feel maybe you've personally experienced or you just see in the world and feel the weight of life isn't fair. There's so much injustice. And, and Solomon talks about kind of different aspects of that, that there's the external reality that that takes place, but there's also the emotional experience of that talked about people being oppressed that are crying and no one to wipe their tears and people that are oppressed with no one to comfort them that it's not just that these things happen but emotionally it takes a toll it can take a toll because we can feel hopeless and maybe some of you uh, never really experienced any injustice in your life but you can feel an overwhelmed sense of man when I look at the world there's an emotional experience of the injustice that happens or for those of you that have or have gone through things, it's, it's that there's the actual thing that happens to you and the emotional weight of it. The despair that he says even, man, I don't even know if it's better to be, it's, maybe it's better to not even have been born. You know, sometimes people talk this way when they talk about children, that they say, man, I don't want to bring a child into this world, so maybe I won't even have kids. And, and he says, man, maybe that's true. Maybe it's better not even to be born. Maybe it's, maybe it's better just to not even have lived because there's so much injustice and so much of life that's not fair. There's the external realities and there's the emotional uh, difficulty 
that if you've experienced injustice, you can grow bitter, you can uh, be depressed, all, all sorts of things. And, and we want something different than that, right? We want something better than that. We experience life as unfair and difficult, and we want something different than that. We want, we want there to be hope. We want there to be justice. A lot of songs that, that we sing reflect this. If you go all the way back to John Lennon, and he sings, imagine, right? And maybe you don't even know who John Lennon is, but you've heard the song, imagine there's no religion, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell, and we're all just one, and we're all happy. That's a paraphrase, right? And John, John Lennon sings that, or John Mayer, a little more recent, sings, waiting on the world to change. Just waiting, right? Waiting, you know that song. And then uh, John Legend, it's always a John, right? Johns, they care about uh, injustice. Mo more recently, it talks about when the glory, I'm not going to try to sing John Legend. That would be a big mistake. <clears throat> I see, by the way, I was on uh, YouTube yesterday and I saw, or maybe it was two days ago, John Legend and Alicia Keys singing Let It Be. Oh my gosh, okay? If you, just tonight, if you just want to feel for a second that the world is going to be okay, <laughs> watch that and drink some tea and just, everything will be fine if John Legend and Alicia Keys serenade your life. But seeing him, he, he's got a song, right, that came out with the Selma movie uh, last year or two years ago about when the glory comes, everything's going to be fine, that we have these, these music, these, these songs that cry out for, we want something better. And the world's filled with injustice. Our lives can be filled with injustice. Life's not fair. People have mistreated us. Things have happened to us. People get away with it. And we go, man, I, that, I want something better than that. Is there going to be a day? Is there going to be a time? Is there going to be a, something that the songs will actually fulfill when it will be okay? And we want that. And so our question is, how can, we get, how can we get justice? How can we get the justice that we long for, both personally and in our world? How, how can we get justice? How can things that are wrong be righted? How can things be Fair? How can there be, how, how can life actually be lived in such a way where we go, man, the wrongs that happen are righted to us and to other people? And here's what Solomon says we look in two places. That oftentimes we, we look to the government, we look to politics. And I think there's one thing that we can all agree on is that we wish there was more political posts in our Facebook uh, newsfeed. And, uh, and there's, if, if just recently, right, I mean, there's so much about politics and how both people are cynical and fed up with politics, but also that, man, if we can change policy, if we can change things, then the world will be a better place. And Solomon says, oftentimes, here, here's what we do. We, we want justice, and you know where we look? We look for politics, but what's the problem? It's corrupt. He says, in the place of power, there was corruption. He says, under the sun, that in the place of justice, so the place where there's supposed to be justice, the laws and the politicians and the courts, in the place of justice, there was wickedness. I mean, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on, this is something that we agree on, that in the place where there's supposed to be justice, in, in politics and in the courts where there's supposed to be justice, there's wickedness. So if, if you're somebody that is uh, conservative and in favor of Trump, that was one of the big things he ran on, which is, I'm going to clear the swamp. 
that there's political injustice and I'm going to go in, I'm going to take care of it. And so people go, yes, that, that would be great. And if you're someone that's not pro-Trump uh, or pro-swamp clearing and you want, you want there to be a different kind of justice, when Trump shows up to office, you go, see, this is the problem. There's injustice. But both sides agree with this. Politics is corrupt. That politics is unjust. That the courts are unjust. Whether you are liberal or conservative, left or right, or wherever you are, we, we all agree, man, that the system is corrupt. That in the courts where there's supposed to be justice, there's not. That there's people in jail that shouldn't be in jail. That, I mean, you, even just from a, a media standpoint, you watch, uh, uh, what's that show called? Making a Murderer or Serial or, the, you know, those shows that were super popular. Um, where it's like, is this person guilty or are they not guilty? And we know that there's corruption. So oftentimes what Solomon says is we look for justice in the government. We look for justice in politics, and yet it's corrupt. It doesn't matter which side you lean politically. Everybody agrees with the fact that government is corrupt. I have a friend in the FBI who um, was, putting, uh, was a part of the case to put on trial this uh, pimp who was doing a bunch of sex trafficking with all these people and you had been, I mean, just so much evidence mounted against this person. Had been in jail, had gotten out of jail and was doing the same thing again and the jury released him. Jury said, nah, you know, we don't really want to put people in jail. Basically. And he was free. That there's injustice and the government doesn't do the things that it's supposed to do. This is not political. Everybody agrees with this, Okay. The second thing that he says that we often look for justice is in religion. He says that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, he's talking about the church and, and the temple at this point. In the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. And isn't this true? Isn't this one of the big complaints about the church? Isn't this one of the big complaints about religion is that it has been party to so much injustice in our world? That religion, he says, right, the place of righteousness, which is supposed to be a part of ending injustice, has actually been a part of it so many times. This is one of the things that so many people actually feel of, I mean, religion uh, being a part of, the, you know, slavery and a part of, obviously, way back in the day, the Inquisition and a part of uh, all sorts of things. He says, in, in the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. It's not that hard to scroll through the news and see uh, pastors that are embezzling money or that are um, abusing people or sleeping with people they're not supposed to be sleeping with or all sorts of things. He says in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So how can we get justice? Oftentimes what we do is we say, man, the government, they should fix it, but they don't. And the church or religion, it should fix it, but it doesn't because... Our justice is always limited. We long for justice. We long for things to be right. But the places of power, he says, the places that actually have the power to fix stuff is often where the corruption is. The places where there's actually supposed to be a power to solve stuff is actually where the corruption is, where the oppression is. And we need something better than that. We need a better kind of justice because our justice, it lacks a purity. 
meaning, you know, people always say that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So that if somebody actually gets into a place of justice, they have to compromise, or they have to change, or they have to, they have to do things different, and then they themselves become somebody that is now on the side of oppression. Our justice, it lacks a purity. It's never actually whole, and it lacks a wisdom. I mean, if you look at the issues of today, isn't it hard to think, man, what should actually be done? If you don't feel that way, then probably we're a bit simplistic. But it's very difficult to look at the different issues that are happening and go, man, what should we do? Our justice, our, our sense of justice, it lacks a purity, but it lacks a wisdom. And it lacks power. Our justice is always limited. That we may work really hard at doing something and then it gets undone. And we may, uh, there was uh, about a, a little over a decade ago, there was this big initiative in Denver, that, this big plan with, you know, I don't, at least thousands, but probably millions of dollars and thousands of volunteer hours that was to end homelessness in Denver in 10 years. This big initiative. And some would say now homelessness is worse than it ever has been in Denver. You've got homeless people that are having blankets confiscated from them. And some would say this is actually the worst it's ever been. Or, and this is not a political statement, depending on whichever side that, that you're on, but the Affordable Care Act was a big thing that Obama campaigned for and made happen. But now it's probably going to get undone. And my point isn't to, to say that's good or bad. My point is just to say this. Our justice, our sense of power, it's, it's limited. We lack power because we can work on things and then they come undone. We can work on things and, and it never actually moves the needle that far. And so we need something better. And, and what he says, what he says is when we look to government, it doesn't ultimately work. When we look to a religion or the place of righteousness, often that doesn't work, that we want justice, we long for justice, but it's weak. We are weak. Our wisdom is weak. Our power is weak. Our purity is weak. You know, this is why so often we love the movies about a vigilante. You know, I love those movies. And, and, and they're usually very critically acclaimed, something like The Revenant, which is all about what? It's all about justice. Get rid of the red tape, get rid of the system, get rid of the policies, get rid of the procedures, just a pure pursuit of righting the wrongs. One man had something done wrong to him, and the whole movie is about, I will sleep in a dead horse carcass if it means justice. Right? If you haven't seen the movie, you're like, what? Okay, but that's, it's all about, I will get justice. Or we just watched, Sarah and I watched this movie, uh, I don't remember, a couple weeks ago, called In the Valley of Violence. It's like an hour and a half. It's not even long, but super high ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. It's all about, the whole story is this, these, it's like a cowboy movie. They kill his dog, and he just kills everybody that, that was a part of it. <laughs> but it's all about justice. We love that. There's a part of us that just loves the movies where it's just, look, there's no bureaucracy. Because we long for that to happen. What if there was just a pure sense of the rights will be wrong? The wrongs will be righted. Uh, we already have the other one, right? The wrongs will be righted. There's a lot of movies like that, too. And it's just pure justice. We love those movies. There's something in them that resonates with us. 
of just making the evil go away with a pure pursuit of justice. And, and here's what he ultimately then tells us. He says that God is the one that brings justice. He says that God is the one that will judge the righteous and the wicked. There's a time for every matter and for every work and that God will bring justice. That only God's justice is not limited. Only God's justice has a perfect power to right the wrongs. Only God's justice has a perfect wisdom to see what really needs to be done. Only God's justice has a, has a perfect purity and isn't mixed in its motive. And he says, God will bring justice. This is one of the beautiful things that the Bible teaches, is that when God views injustice in the world, he cares about it. That God is not indifferent to the injustice that's happened to you. He's not indifferent to the injustice that happens in the world. God's not indifferent to it. He cares about it deeply. One a scholar commenting on this passage, Philip Ryken, says this, just kind of looking at the Bible, he says about God, he is not on the side of injustice, but stands against it with all his power. We see this again and again in the biblical prophets. Amos preached against people who oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. Ezekiel warned about the extortion and stealing from foreigners. Zechariah listed the people who were most likely to be oppressed, widows, orphans, travelers, and the poor. It's not just words and actions that bring oppression, but also legislation. Thus, Isaiah pronounced God's woe against those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. And so he says this, God is on the side of justice. And the writer here of Ecclesiastes tells us that when we pursue justice, we look for justice and we want justice, often the very places we look, they don't give it. That's part of the problem. And only God can bring the justice that we long for. When Jesus shows up, he, he says the same thing. Jesus shows up and says that he is the judge and he is the king and that his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom where there will not be any injustice. So how do we get justice, what the writer tells us here is ultimately it's only going to be found from God. But that's fine and that's nice, but stuff is still really bad, right? It's like, okay, if God's the one that's going to bring justice, but we look around the world and it doesn't seem like God's doing anything about it. If God's the one that's going to bring justice and his justice is perfectly pure and it's perfectly wise and it's perfectly powerful, but isn't there a bunch of injustice still happening? Isn't there a bunch of wrongs that have been done to you that haven't been righted? Isn't there people that have gotten away with things, that have cheated you, that have hurt you, that have slandered you and have gotten away with it? Isn't there injustice that has been perpetuated both in the world, obviously, and in your life? So where is God? Why does God wait to bring justice? How come he's not doing anything? If, if the author is right that God is the place that we get justice, why does God wait to bring justice? Why, why isn't fire just come down from heaven and consume every unjust act of person? Why isn't God more like Liam Neeson? <laughs> that's, a, that's a book, you know, someone should write that. There's always a line in a movie where someone's like, I'm not a cop. And, you know, I love that line because it means they're going to bring justice, you know. 
Liam, you know, like, oh, you can't do anything. You're, you're law enforcement. It's like, I'm not a cop. And then it's like, dun, dun, dun. They're going to kill everybody, you know. So why doesn't God do that? Why, why is God not say I'm not a cop and, and just, you know, destroy injustice? And here's what he says. Here, here's what the author says, that God is testing them, talking about humanity. He says God is testing them, which doesn't mean it's a test that we pass or fail. It means he's revealing, he's showing. God is testing them that they themselves, humans, are but beasts, animals. You see, why is God waiting to bring justice? Part of what God is doing, part of why God allows things to continue the way that they continue, part of why God allows it is this. He's showing us what our true nature is. He's showing us our part in the problem. He's showing us that we are like animals. We are like beasts. See, if you think about animals, if you think about animals, they don't care about justice. They don't care about right and wrong. They don't, they don't care about submitting to something that is true and just and, and saying, okay, I'm going to live my life according to this. I'm going to live my life according to what is true and just. Animals don't care about that. And I know that your dog is your baby and he's got a coat that you knitted. I know that. But, but it doesn't, animals don't care about justice. They don't care about that. What do animals care about? They just care about their desires, their instincts, what they want, getting what it is that they want. Animals just want what they want. I was talking to somebody once that I think I was reading a, a news article and, and I said something to him about like, man, people are evil. He's like, you think people are evil? I was like, yeah, look at this. Like, people aren't evil. I was like, so why do you think all this stuff is happening in the world? Why do you think, why? and he said, well, I think people are selfish. I, like, well, I, I think that is the core of what evil is. So I actually agree with you. I think the core of evil is that we are animals, that we are beasts. Because what are animals? They are selfish. They just do what they want to do. We've actually made this a virtue. We are so animal-like that we have made it a virtue to say, I mean, what do animals do? Animals follow their hearts. Animals just do whatever makes them happy. Animals, animals just be true to themselves. That's what animals do. We have actually made that virtuous to say, Here's, here is what, we've actually said the core of humanity is to be an animal. We've actually said the core of humanity is be free and do whatever you want. And that's what the author is saying the problem is, that that creates a selfishness where we become about us. See, animals don't care about justice. They don't care about what's right. They don't care about what's wrong. They don't care about saying, I actually live my life under some higher authority that tells me what is just and what is unjust. We were dog-sitting for some friends, and the dog is so great and obedient and respectful until we walked out of the room. Because then the dog does what it wants. I mean, it didn't do anything horrible. It just laid on the couch, right? But, but it, it, that, it wouldn't do that when we were present. Because the dog doesn't care about justice. The dog doesn't care about right and wrong or what somebody is telling him to do. It cares about its 
instincts. Look, this is why God allows, in part, justice not to come. Because He's testing, He's revealing, He's showing our part. We even use this language. People are rats. People are snakes. People are chickens. People are wolves. People are dogs. People are female dogs. People are, are, you can translate that. People are, people are mousy. People are an ass. People are catty. Right? We even use that language to describe people's greed and to describe their pride and to describe their complaining and to describe their, their gossip and to describe their, um, their, uh, their selfishness and to describe their all sorts of stuff. We use animal terms. We know this. I mean, have you ever in any way acted like a shark or a wolf or a rat or a weasel or a snake or a coward, a chicken or a, I mean, we, we would all have to look at the list of animals and say, yeah, I'm somewhere on there. I've had a beastly nature in some way. And, and, and the author says part of why God waits, part of why God doesn't just bring justice is to show us our part in the injustice, to show us that we are animal-like and like animals, Ultimately, we are cursed to die. He says the animals die and the humans die. So the Bible teaches that when sin entered into the world, when our selfishness entered into the world, that what that ultimately creates is death as the natural outcome, as a penalty for our selfishness. And he says just like animals, that's what happens to us. So here, here's the thing, as we look at injustice in the world, as we look at injustice that's been done to us, and we look at injustice that's done out there, here's what we have to say. We're guilty. It doesn't mean that you're a member of ISIS, but we have to say, man, I have some animal nature in me, some selfishness in me. I've got some of those things in me. That as we look at injustice, we have to say, man, we're guilty in some way. I was on jury duty a couple years ago, and uh, as they were screening the process, they asked a bunch of questions to weed people out. Like, hey, do you think cops are always right 100% of the time? And some people raise their hands like, okay, you're off the jury. Or some people say, I'm, I'm serious. Or they say, um, do you hate cops and think they all should die? And the people raise their hand like, okay, you're off the jury. And so they asked these questions to screen people. And the uh, defense attorney asked a question and said, does anybody... Think, does anybody think that my client is not 100% innocent? Because you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, right? This guy's on trial. And so everyone, all the jury is supposed to come in thinking he's 100% innocent. Innocent until proven guilty. Does anyone think he's not 100% innocent? Nobody raised their hand. I raised my hand. I'm like, I don't think anybody's 100% innocent. And I started preaching Ecclesiastes. No, I didn't really. <laughs> but I, I would have if it was this week. But I, but I just, I don't think anybody's 100% innocent. You didn't just grab the guy off the street and throw him in the stand and be like, oh, innocent until proven guilty. Anyway, so we, we actually let him off, but I think he was guilty. But the point is this. Injustice. I'm part of it. I'm an animal. I'm a chicken, okay? Truthfully. We would have been, it would, well, anyway. 
Here's the point. We're all guilty. We're all animals. Are we all share? God, God allows it, he says. God allows it to happen, to show us our nature, to show us our parts. We want a world of justice, right? That's what we want. In the world and personally, we want, if somebody lies about you, that their tongue falls out. Maybe not that graphic, but you want something like that. You want that if, if somebody cuts you off, that then they get a flat tire. You want that if somebody speeds by you on the freeway and cuts you off, I love it if a few miles later I see them pulled over, right? You want, we want a world of justice where that kind of stuff happens. And wouldn't it be an amazing place that if husbands that abuse their wives, their hands just fell off? Wouldn't it be an amazing place where only diseases went to the people that mistreated people. Wouldn't it be? I mean, we want that kind of justice. That's what we want. But, but here's the thing. We don't want that for us. Because what if we lied about somebody? We want mercy. What if we speed? What do we say to the officer? You know, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention. And, oh, I was going that fast? And, no, oh, I thought it used to be 65 through here. And we want mercy. We gossip about somebody. We don't want, you know, our hair falling out. We want, we want mercy. So we want a world of justice. But we would have to live in that world, too. We'd have to live in the world where all of the beastly tendencies in us got immediate justice. And that would be a frightening place to live. Sometimes people say, only God can judge me. That's a terrifying thing. Because what if he will? It's easy to say, only God can judge me to say, hey, you, couldn't say, you can't say anything bad about me. But what if God then stands up and says, okay. Then what do we do? See, we want a world of justice, but part of why God waits, part of why God delays in bringing immediate justice is because if he did, which of us would stand? Which of us would be able to say, thank you, God, that you've enacted justice on everybody else? And which of us would be able to say, I'm okay, me and God, we'll bring the justice. And so this leaves him uneasy. This leaves him, the author, in a place where he says, man, who, who can even know what's going to happen? You know, we all go to the dust and die. And, and he even says, you know, who knows if humans go up and animals go down and, and who knows what's going to happen and who knows what it leaves him longing for something more and eventually he even just says here's the best that we can do we can just do our jobs and work because there's this overwhelmed sense of okay if there's injustice in the world and I don't even know what to do about it and if there's injustice in me and 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 I'm and God's actually showing me that I'm a part of it then and what do we even do? And, and it leaves him in a place of wanting something more. Because what do we do? What do you and I do when we want justice, but we know if all justice happened, we wouldn't stand? What do we do? That leaves us in a predicament. What do we do if, if we're a kind of person that says injustice has to stop, but we're also able to honestly look at ourselves and know it's in me too. 
What do we do? It leaves us in a, in a difficult place. What kind of justice then do we need? Is there a kind of justice? Is there a kind of justice that, that, that would free us but wouldn't crush us? Is there a kind of justice that, that would bring freedom to the world but that wouldn't cause us all to be the ones that are enacted upon in punishment? Is there a different kind of justice? What, what kind of justice do we need? And ultimately, we go back to what he said, that he said only God brings justice. And when we get to the New Testament, Ecclesiastes isn't the end of the story. When we get to the New Testament, here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus and the justice that he brings. You know, you know what it says about Jesus? It says that Jesus was somebody that experienced all the oppression the world has to offer. See, we look at the world and we see oppression and injustice. And we hope that somebody in power can fix it. But here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Here, here's what it says about God himself, that he entered the world and became somebody oppressed. He became somebody that was marginalized and pushed out and experienced all the injustice that we have to offer. He experienced all the beastly tendencies from others, from betrayal and cowardice and selfishness and lies, and, and deceit, and stealing. and He experienced all of that. He experienced all the injustice the world has to offer. He became one of the oppressed people. You know, Solomon says here, he says that the oppressed are there, and nobody sees their tears. And the oppressed are there, and there's no one to comfort them. And, and God himself said, I became oppressed. I cried tears, and my closest followers fell asleep while I did. I was in a position of the worst uncomfort imaginable, separated from God, separated from my friends, experiencing death physically, spiritually. Jesus became oppressed. He identifies with and entered into a world of injustice. Why? Jesus entered into and experienced all the injustice the world has to offer. Why? And here's what, here's what Paul tells us. He says in his book to the church in Rome, he's talking about all humanity, for there is no distinction between any one of us. For all have sinned, that we're selfish, that we are beastly in different ways, that, that we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And here, here's what he's saying. Since you and I are all guilty, since we all have a part in the injustice, God's only response to that, if God truly is just, if God is pure in His justice unlike us, and wise in His justice unlike us, and powerful in His justice unlike us, 
What can God do when he sees injustice? He must punish it. And what what Paul says here is we are all guilty. Just like Ecclesiastes says, we're all animals, we're all beasts, we're all sinful in different and varying ways. But how does God bring justice against us? What's the kind of justice that he brings? You know what he says? Instead of putting it on us, he puts it on Jesus. You see, that's what the cross is. The cross is Jesus taking all of the injustice and all the punishment and all the penalty that we should pay. Our tongue falling out, our hands falling off, our hearts stopping cold dead for what we do. For the thoughts we think and the motives we have and the actions that we take. Sometimes that nobody else sees. And instead of punishing us, instead of bringing justice against us, Jesus says, Here's why I became one of the oppressed. Here's why I became one of the ones that experienced injustice. It was to save. It was to take all injustice on myself. That way, I can be the one that is just, Paul says, and the justifier, meaning the one that makes us now right with God. That he took the punishment that we deserve. That instead of us experiencing the full weight of his justice, we get to experience the full weight of his grace. You know what um, we want in a courtroom sense of justice? We want the hammer to fall. We want the gavel to fall and say guilty on those that it needs to fall on. And I was talking to somebody once that said that they were always waiting for God to drop the hammer on them for what they'd done. And it's that courtroom language, waiting for the hammer to drop for what I've done. But what Paul says is this, yes, the hammer should drop on you, but instead it dropped on Jesus. The hammer should lay the guilty verdict on you, but instead it went on Jesus. And then what he gave us was grace and freedom and redemption so that now we can stand before God and be guilt-free. We can stand before God and say, I'm right with you because though I deserve something, you gave me mercy. So what does this do? What happens if we taste this? See, what kind of justice do we need? We need a justice that is both just and merciful. Otherwise, we can't stand. And if we encounter that kind of justice, what if we really believe that? What if we really believe, man, I'm, I'm guilty and I'm a part of the problem, and yet what God gave to me is grace and mercy what if, what if we were a kind of community that really believed that Jesus is a judge that brings this kind of justice? What would that do to us? What would that do to us personally and as a community? And as we close, let me just give a few thoughts. One of them is this. If, if we were to come to him as judge, it, it, would, it would change the way we evaluate what is just and what is unjust. See, as we look at the issues of the day or we look at what's been done to us, how do we know what is just and unjust? Because so many of us disagree. And the world disagrees on what is justice and what is injustice. But if we were to come to him as judge because we trust him, because we see what kind of justice he brings, because we see what kind of judge he is, you know what that would do? It would change how we evaluate, how we think about justice. Look, here's the truth. A Christian, and I know some of you aren't Christians, and we love having people from all walks of life here, but for Christians, we should not be Republicans, and we should not be Democrats. 
And I don't mean we should be independents. That's not what I mean. I mean that we should never be able to be defined because we, 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 we don't look at issues on the party line. We look at issues by coming to Jesus and saying, he's the judge. And so I evaluate what is just and unjust by what he says, not by what some party says. It would change how we evaluate things because we would trust he's a good judge. And it would change, it would change our posture with other people that have wronged us. See, when we start to think about somebody, how could they do this to me? How could they do this to me? How could they get away with this? How could they have wronged me in this way? How could they? And we start to think that. But we remember our injustice and God's relation to us in our injustice. We remember our wrongs and God's relation to us in our wrongs. What does that do? It allows us to forgive. It allows us to release. Look, some of you have had horrible things done to you in your past, in your present. Horrible acts of injustice and people have gotten away with it. But when we begin to focus on the kind of justice that Jesus has, the kind of judge that he is, and we say, he gave me justice and he gave me mercy. He, he he forgave me. He released me so I can release others. That changes us. That changes how you relate to your spouse. It changes how you relate to your kids. It changes how you relate to uh, coworkers you don't like. It changes how you relate to people that are sharks and catty and dogs and rats and leeches and all the other animals. It changes because when you go, this is how I was and God treated me with mercy we're able to then show compassion. We're able to release people. We're able not to grow in bitterness when we come to him as judge. Because nothing gets past him. And when we come to Jesus as judge, it, it, it does this. We see, man, he cares about justice. And so I want to care about what he cares about. If Jesus is somebody that says, I am the one that really brings justice and I'm the one that does care about the oppressed and those that are not comforted. I'm the one. Maybe all the other places of power and all the other places that are supposed to be righteous don't, but Jesus says, I do. Then what that should do to us is that we care about what he cares about because we've come to him as a judge. We've experienced his mercy and his justice and so we then want to work to care about what he cares about. That can mean a thousand things. Different people have different passions, and there's, there's people in our church that work for different things. There's, but it means this. It means we care about what Jesus cares about. We care about the oppressed and the broken, and we care about those that are being trafficked in the sex industry, and we care about those that are homeless, and we care about the immigrant, and we care about our neighbors that are lonely, and we care about those that are sick, and we care about kids that need a home to be adopted or fostered and we care about we care because Jesus does he says and so we work for what he works for but it also does this it creates a rest because we look at the world and know we can't do everything we don't have to that's not an excuse but it's to say he's ultimately the judge 
he's ultimately the one that will make things right. We can do our part. We can do, we can do what we can do. And, but we know we can rest. The weight isn't on our shoulders to be the ones that bring justice to the world. It's on his shoulders. And he will. So as we take communion, we remember this. Remember that Jesus had his body broken and his blood shed on the cross to bring perfect justice and to bring perfect mercy. And so when we take communion, this is what we say that we need. This is what we say is what we want. This is what we say is what is going to define us as a person and as a community. So let's pray and we'll close in taking communion and singing a few songs. Father, thank you that you are God that brings justice. That every wrong that has ever been done will be righted. That every unjust act committed in this world will be dealt with. Either one day by you or on the cross by you in forgiveness and in grace. We thank you, God, that you care about the oppressed. Us, when we have been and will be oppressed. But, but the world, you care about it. And we thank you, God, that you are patient with us. We thank you that you are not just a God of justice, but a God of mercy, because we need that. So we thank you for that, God, and I pray that as we take communion and sing, that you would move in our hearts to know you, to worship you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.